You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, ushers are in the aisles, uh, be passing out Bibles. Genesis chapter 4. Here's where we're at. Where we're, at. we're going through a, a study in the book of Genesis. Uh, we began it a couple of months ago, and we have seen that God created the entire universe. What an amazing, powerful, sovereign God, right? Who just spoke the universe into existence. And we saw that the purpose of him creating this universe was to display his glory to you, to man. He created the world and all that is in it, and he gave it all to Adam and Eve. And he said, rule over it, have dominion. I want you to enjoy all that I have created for you. And I have created you for me. Adam and Eve would walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. They were made in God's image. God made you in his image. He gave you the capacity to understand his great and infinite being. Oh, we can't understand the fullness of it, but we can understand how he gave you a great mind to understand his person, his heart, his nature, his ways. And he created us for the purpose of being in fellowship with him. And to, to, to consummate that, he created the Garden of Eden, and there he would walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And oh, what an amazing story. We looked at it uh, over several weeks, this relationship that God desired with man. In order for that relationship to be real, there has to be a choice. And God gave Adam and Eve a choice. It was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, hey, you can do anything you want in the entire world, but if you want to have a relationship with me, do not decide for yourself the knowledge of what is good and what is evil. Let me decide what is good and what is evil. Uh, You're not capable. You'll be deceived. You'll think some things are good. They won't be good. You'll be deceived. It'll ruin your life. Walk in my ways. and, And this will be the token of our relationship. Adam and Eve, of course, we know they rebelled against God. They did not believe him. They believed the lies of Satan. They believed his deceptions. And they chose to obey Satan instead of God. They rebelled against God, and when they did, they fell. And the fall was was tragic. Uh, They were clothed with the very glory of God. They were clothed with God's spirit. They were walking and talking with God, and now that relationship was broken by sin. And here in chapter 4, what we're going to see is this world in its fallen state. God came along and said, hey, look, now that this has happened, here is my redemptive plan. And we looked at that over the last couple of weeks, this plan that God has. Hey, I'm going to bring a Messiah through your lineage, Eve, and he is going to be the savior of the world. He will crush the head of the serpent. He will crush Satan under his foot. Satan will strike at his heel. It'll bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. And God puts this plan in place of man's redemption. And I am so thankful. I am so thankful, aren't you, that God hasn't given up on us, that God didn't say, okay, Adam and Eve, tough for you, you blew it, you're forever separated from me, now I'll make George and Nancy and we'll see how they do, right? Uh, No, 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 no. God says, no, 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 I'm going to bring you back to myself through this Messiah, And so now we see life in this fallen world, this world full of sin. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4. We see where we leave Eden and we see this world that has fallen to sin, where man is separated from God by sin. And yet God is saying, no, you can still come to me through a provision I've made. And we're going to look at that today. The title of the message is The Right Way to Come to God. The right way to come to God. And we're going to see today that not all roads lead to God. 
It's very interesting that God beckons all of us to come to him. I want you to know you are here today because God has been beckoning you to come to him. And you say, no, that's not true. I'm one of those people who raised my hand first time here. Uh, it was my neighbor who brought me here. It was my friend. Uh, hey, I get it. I had the, my, it was my brother who brought me. Uh, but here's what the Bible says. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I've been calling you. I'm the one who's putting those thoughts in your minds. We are so depraved. We are so selfish. We would never think about God, but God is calling us, and he does it through various ways. He speaks to us through creation. We look up in the world. We look up at the universe. We lay it, uh, our, our, our eyes up into the heavens. We see the, the majesty of all of his creation. We go to the beach, we see the sun rays shooting through the clouds as the sun is setting. The magnificent hues, we see all of the glory of, you know, the beautiful mountain range or a, a baby's birth. And we're like, wow, amazing. And God beckons us through creation. God beckons us also through our conscious. It's called the moral law. We were made in his image. God put his word into our heart. We have an innate sense being created in his image of this is right. This is wrong. Be careful. This moral law that he has given us. And when we break it, his spirit comes along and says, hey, you got a problem here. He speaks to us through moral law. He also speaks to us through his word. That is the primary way that God wants to speak to us. And right now, it is nothing less than a divine miracle that you have a Bible, God's word, that's been preserved through the ages, open and on your lap. God has done a lot of work to get that to happen right now. And all of the ways God speaks to us through creation, through his, his moral law, through the Holy Spirit, it's all leading us to Jesus that is revealed in the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who he is. And we get to know him through his word. This is what he does. This is what he's working. This is how he's moving in our lives. And what a privilege it is. Now, I want you to know, God is speaking to all people. And all of us have a choice of how we're going to respond. Just like Adam and Eve had a choice on how they were going to respond. Well, we do as well. And virtually all people will approach God at some point in their life. Some will approach God when... They're falling off the proverbial cliff, if you will. Ah, help me! And they'll call out to God. Some will call out to God when they're facing incredible hardship. The death of a loved one. The death of a son or a daughter. Some will call out to God when they're find out they have the C word. There's different ways that we call out to God, different times we call out to God. Some call out to God when they're convic convicted of sin. Some call out to God when they're convicted of success. They've made money, their company's running, and they go, this is it. I bought the house, I got the yard, I got the wife, I got the Tesla, this is it. I thought it'd be more. And there's that futility, that emptiness in the soul that longs for more than this world can offer. There's a lot of ways that we call out to God and a lot of reasons we come to, a lot of people approach God at different points in their life. What's interesting, what's really interesting, this might shock you, is that God receives some people's worship, but not others. What? Yeah, God receives some people's worship, but not others. And you will say, well, why is that? Well, we're going to look into that today. King David wrote a psalm, Psalm 15. He was wondering this question. 
God, why do you receive some people's worship and not others? And Psalm 15, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Lord, who can enter into your tabernacle? Who can dwell in your presence? And he was pondering that question. What's interesting is the reason he was pondering that question was because he was the king of Israel. And he had a desire to worship God. And he tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And when he did, he hired a big strong guy to bring it on a cart. And the cart hit a bump. And the Ark started to fall. And the big strong guy, his name was Uzzah. His name means strength. Sticks out his hand to keep the ark from falling off the cart. And God strikes him dead. And this party of celebration turns into, what the heck? And God says, I don't like the way you're worshiping me. And David parks the ark, doesn't touch it. And he goes and meditates. And he writes Psalm 15, Lord, who can hang out with you? You see, God doesn't receive everyone's worship. And today we're going to see in Genesis 4, we're going to see the right way we can come to God. Uh, Not all roads lead to God, contrary to a lot of deceptive lies that are in the world. Uh, So with that rambling introduction, let's jump into chapter 4. Are you there with me? Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. I want you to underline those words, acquired. Acquired a man for the Lord. I'll come back to why in just a minute. Then she bore again. This time, his brother Abel. Now, can you imagine how weird this was for Eve? Uh, Eve is probably one year old, Right? She's one year old, and suddenly her and Adam, they, you know, they've been coming together, and now suddenly she's pregnant, right? Uh, and she's never seen this before. Like, what the heck? And now birth time comes. That would be wild, right? That would be wild. And uh, uh, she, she has these kids. Uh, verse 2, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He was a shepherd. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. Both very notable professions. Uh, One not better than the other. God gifts people differently. They do different things. I love the diversity of God. I, I have four kids. I was amazed as a young father at how these different gifts were just so given to these children, so unique. And I've watched them grow and walk in the path that God has raised them to. It's so much fun. And here, Adam and Eve are seeing that. Very different professions, but both good, good professions. Verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord, to Yahweh. Uh, In the process of time, how much time? Well, we can actually figure that out. It's about 120 years. Adam and Eve are about 120 years old. You say, how do you know? Well, in chapter 5, it tells us that at 130 years old, Eve has Seth, who we're going to find out... uh, was given to replace Cain, who gets murdered, we find out. So we know that Cain and Abel uh, are about 120 years old here, okay? Uh, And here Abel brings, verse 4, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, special, right? The best, Uh, not what's left over. He, He puts God first in his offerings, doesn't give God his chump change. He puts God first in his offerings. The firstborn of his flock and their fat. The fat means he gave the, the best, the plumpest, nicest one, right? And the Lord, Yahweh, uh, all capitals, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, respected Abel and his offering. And he did not respect Cain and his offering. Interesting. And Cain was very angry. Again, I want you to underline these words, very angry. Uh, Can I tell you what that means in the Hebrew? It means very 
angry. <laughs> it means irate. It means he got livid. It means he was just passionately angry and volatile. I mean, like really irate. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do, if you do, not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire, say it with me, is for you. What's he saying? Sin wants to rule over your life. You need to be careful, Cain. Sin wants to rule over your life, but you must rule over it. We live in a day in an age where we don't even think that's possible. We just feel like whatever sin nature we have, we ought to feed. Nothing could be further from the truth. God says sin wants to rule your life. It'll destroy you. You've got to learn to rule over it. Uh, I want to take you into some things here uh, as we begin to unpack this section. Notice what Eve says when she has this child. She says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. She names Cain acquisition or acquired. What is she saying? What does that mean? Here's what it means. She believes that Cain is the promised Messiah that was going to come through her. God had told her, your seed will come and deliver man from this fallen position. He will crush the head of the serpent and he will remove this problem of this sin that has come into the world and Eve she names her son Cain she thinks this is the one God promised that a Messiah would come and this is the acquired man that God has given to bring the to lift the curse of the earth problem God told her that that Messiah that promised one who would crush the head of the of the of Satan would be a seed of the woman. This was a seed of the man. This was a seed of Adam. And Adam now has a sinful nature, and guess what his kids have? A sinful nature. She was hoping Cain would be the Messiah. Instead, Cain was a murderer. We're going to find out. Wow, what a difference. What a difference. The promise would come, but not through this son. The promise would come through the one who's going to be the seed of the woman, the virgin birth, Jesus Christ. Uh, nevertheless, this reveals something. What does it reveal? It reveals that Eve is now believing what? God's promise. Which is really good news because the last time we saw Eve, she wasn't believing God's words. She was believing who? Satan's words. She wasn't obeying God's words. She was obeying Satan's words. And then when God came calling for her, she wasn't serving God. She was serving Satan. She told lies. She said, oh, this happened. Making excuses for her sin. And uh, uh, maybe unwillingly, maybe unknowingly, but she had become fallen and now she wasn't believing God. She was believing Satan. And now after she sees that she's been deceived and after she sees the tragic loss, she believes God's word again. And that is a great thing. Now it's interesting that both Cain and Abel bring their offerings to the Lord. Cain was a farmer and so he brings the produce of the ground. Abel was a shepherd, and so he brings his sheep. Uh, you might be a plumber, and you can bring your, the fruit of your plumbing to the Lord. You might be a lawyer, you can bring the, the, the fruit of your lawing uh, to the Lord. Uh, I was going to say suing, but I thought that would be mean. Uh, uh, practicing law to the Lord. Right? Uh, you, you, whatever you are, whatever we have, God will receive our gift. There was nothing wrong with the offerings. 
Uh, both of them notable uh, uh, careers, right? Nothing wrong with them. And they bring their offerings to the Lord. And we learned something in this is there was a place that they brought their offerings. There was some kind of altar. There was some kind of place where they would meet with the Lord. And it's interesting is this permeates all through the Bible. You'll remember whenever the patriarchs would go anywhere, if they moved, the first thing they would do was what? Establish an altar. A place where we would come, we would meet with God. On a set day, at a set time, at a set place where we would come to worship God, making him a priority in his life. And here we see very early in the Bible, all the way from the beginning, it was God's will, it was God's purpose. That's the way he wants it. There are some who say, hey, I can worship God anywhere. I don't need to go to church. I can worship God in the mountains. I can worship God at the beach. Is that true? Absolutely. But the problem is, you won't do it. If you are not making, if you do not have an altar, if you do not have a place of worship, that on a set day, you put God first, the first day of the week, Sunday morning, here we are making God our number one priority. Here we are learning God's word. Here we are worshiping him in song and in praise. Here we are taking on his ways and learning of him. If we don't do that on Sunday, do you know what I know about us? We will not do it at the beach and we will not do it in the mountains that is a cop-out that is an excuse and God in his word has said do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some some forsake it don't forsake it he says you're my kids make an altar make a commitment stick to it put me first in your life Jesus said it this way seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else in life will be added to you you'll have everything else you need no worries just make sure you come to me first and here, Cain and Abel, both doing that. They have an altar, they have a place, they have a time, and they come, and yet God doesn't receive Cain's offering. Shocking, shocking. Shocking to consider that God doesn't receive everyone's worship. Why did God reject Cain's worship? Cain is bringing his offerings to the Lord. It's what he had. It's what he grew. It's what he knew. Here it is, Lord. And God says, no, thank you. Not interested. Why? Why does God reject Cain's offering? Well, we don't know that it wasn't his best. Uh, it might have been his best. It doesn't tell us. He brought what he had. There are a couple things we can know for sure, though. And I want to I look at these together with you. The first thing that we can know for sure of why God did not receive Cain's offering we, is because Cain approached God by self-merit. And I want you to know something. Again, this is going to sound a bit shocking. God is not a self-help program. God does not exist for you to have a better life. God does not. We don't worship God to become better people. We do not worship God to be good citizens. We don't worship God to be outstanding, moral, upright people. That's not why we worship God. Now, those things will happen as we worship God because we, beget, we begin to be transformed into his image, into the image of Jesus. And so these things do happen, but that's not the reason we worship God. We worship God because he is worthy of all of our wor worship and no other reason. We worship God because he is the creator of our being. Not only our creator, he is also the lover of our soul. He gave everything to bring us back into fellowship with him. And he is worthy of all of our praise. And this is why we worship him. But this is not why Cain was worshiping him. 
Cain was coming to God by his own self-merit. And many do today. Many go to church today with the same goal that Cain had. To show themselves and to show others that they are good people. I'm a good person. To show that they are, uh, you know, uh, just, just, you know, like a, a good guy. Hey, I do good deeds. I recycle. <laughs> I don't use plastic straws. I have solar panels on my roof. I pick up trash at the beach. And I go to church on Sunday. Aren't I a good boy? Wait a minute, wait a minute. God says, no thank you, I want no part of it. Interesting. What was Cain doing? Oh, Cain was bringing a nice offering. Don't think for a moment the problem was with the offering. The problem wasn't with the offering. The problem was with the heart. Cain was coming to the altar and he was wanted to be known as the best Sunday school teacher there is. The one who passes out more donuts than anybody else. The one who passes out more bulletins than anybody else. The one who has more scripture memorized than anybody else. The one who has his plaque on the wall for giving more money than anybody else. Cain wanted to look good himself. Self-merit. And God says, no thank you, not interested. Not interested. What a folly, by the way, to come to church so that we could think that we're good people. What a, church, what a folly, by the way, to come to church to do good things so that we could make others think that we are good people. Let's just be honest. Are we good people? Well, we might be good compared to Bart Simpson. But we are not good compared to goodness. All of us are selfish. All of us are greedy. All of us are egotistical. All of us are lustful. All of us are arrogant. All of us have tempers. All of us... Do I need to go on? If you doubt me, read Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. Everyone has turned away from God. Nobody seeks God with all of their heart. No, not one. When it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it means all are presently sinning and all are presently falling short of the glory of God. In the Greek, the verb is in the present tense. And so uh, what a folly it would be to go and give an offering so that we could think, we could fool ourselves and think we are good people and we could show our brother Abel how much better our offering is than his. And you say, Dave, how do you know Abel was doing that? Here's how I know, because when God didn't receive his offering, Abel wasn't brokenhearted, he was, he was very angry he was irate are you kidding me my offering's not good enough it's better than his are you kidding me and he gets violent he gets outraged why because what he wasn't worshiping god he was worshiping what? Self. And now God comes along and says, dude, you're not very righteous. And that makes him furious. So interesting. I wish it said, and God rejected his offering, and Cain was broken hearted. Oh, how different the story would have been. God, why? What do I need to do? What's the problem? But he's not broken hearted. 
He's angry. And the reason is, he's doing it all for the wrong reasons. Instead of being repentant for his sinful disobedience, Cain gets, gets volatile, uh, uh, you know, just incredibly irate. Uh, here's the question. Why was Cain even bringing an offering to God if he's not worshiping God from his heart? If he doesn't want to hear what God has to say? Here's the truth of it, church. Cain desired to be seen as righteous. He desired to be seen as the one who was the great servant. He desired to be seen as the one who was just so spiritual. Cain did not give an offering to worship God's goodness. Cain gave an offering to establish his own goodness. And God says, no thank you. I reject it. I'm not interested. Isn't it interesting that this is still a problem that man has today? When Jesus was on the earth, he dealt with the same thing. People who were religious to make themselves look good. Wow, Pastor Dave, what a beautiful prayer. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm so spiritual. (laughs) And God hates that. God hates that. Jesus told a parable to illustrate this truth. Uh, A parable, what is a parable, by the way? A parable is an earthly story with spiritual significance. It's an earthly story that we can understand that will teach us things that are important to God's heart. And that parable was of two men who go to church. Uh, Let's look at it. This is Luke 8. Uh, 18.9. Let me hear you read this with me. Uh, Let's read it one thundering voice together. He, that's Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Let's stop there. That sounds a lot like who? Like Cain. Trusting in himself and despising his brother who is righteous, right? And here's the parable Jesus told to deal with that problem of Cain and Abel and us. Uh, Verse 10, let's read together. Two men went up to the temple to pray. They went to church. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Let's use modern day words. One a pastor, one a drug dealer. Does that make it simpler? Two people go to church, one a pastor, one a drug dealer. Let's go on. The pastor stood and prayed thus with who? Himself. Who did Cain bring his offering to? Himself. Look how good, look how spiritual I am. Look how right I am. Oh, good for you. I don't receive it, God says. Prayed with himself. And here's what he prayed. Here's what the pastor prayed. Read with me. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, drug seller, right? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus speaking, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The pastor prayed, Oh, Lord, I'm so amazing. And God said, you're just praying to yourself. And you're just deceiving who? Yourself. And you're lifting yourself up above other people. You have your reward. The drug dealer says, I can't even lift my head. Oh, God, I know what I've done. Lord, please forgive me. And Jesus says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. How amazing. How amazing. That man went to his house justified. Put the last slide back up there for me again. For everyone who exalts himself, exalts himself where? 
Where? Before men and before God. We'll be humbled, be brought down. But he who humbles himself before who? Before men and before God will be exalted. I want you to know I stand here before you as a pastor, not as one who's more righteous than anyone else. I'm standing before you as a man who says, I have found a fountain of blood that cleanses me of all of my sin. His name is Jesus. He's amazing. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he gives life to all who come to him. Come and see. Come and see. And that is, I, I'm the chief of sinners. And this is who we all are. What folly to give an offering. What folly to give a prayer so that we could be something. Oh, come on. Come on. And Cain was coming to God through self-merit. And it's folly. It's folly. It's delusional. The second problem that Cain had on why God would not receive his offering, God rejected Cain's worship because Cain approached God with no provision for his sin. No provision for his sin. Here's the question. Why didn't Cain have a provision for his sin? Let me hear from you. Why? Was there any sin offering? Was there any blood offering? He said, well, maybe he didn't know that. He knew that. Cain, excuse me, Abel knew it. Adam and Eve knew it. Why did Cain not bring any offering, any provision for his sin? Why? Why? Let me hear from you. Why? Who said? He thought he was righteous. Why didn't the religious leaders receive the Messiah? Because the Messiah came to pay for the sins of the world. And they said, we don't need that. I'm righteous. I don't need a savior. Cain approached God with no provision for his sin because he thought he didn't need it. He thought he was a good person. Me and God are great, man. Uh, God loves me. God accepts me just as I am. No, he doesn't. And we live in a world today where everyone thinks me and God are great. And if I die, I've got a few questions for him. I'm kind of curious about a few things. You have another thing coming. I can tell you for sure. Well, doesn't God love everybody? Well, yes, but not the way you think he does. God so loved the world that he made a provision for their sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. They would have all their sins forgiven. They would rise from spiritual death to be born again to spiritual life. God would fill them with his Holy Spirit and they would begin to have a relationship with God. But that would only come, he loves them so much, God would himself become a man. He would go to a cross to accomplish all of this. And God, yes, he loves you enough to save you from your sin and bring you to sonship daughtership but if you reject that provision that he made from you do not think he loves you you rejected his provision and you are an enemy against him and the wrath of God abides on you the scripture tells us so don't be confused about God's love for you right God loves me enough to Make a provision for my sin. If I reject that provision, I am in major trouble. Man is separated from God by sin. And Cain refused to acknowledge that fact. And so do billions of people today. Do you know what I know? Do you know what I tremble at? There are people here in this room who are not acknowledging the fact that their sin is separated from them from God. 
There are children in children's ministry right now who are not understanding that they are separated from God by their sin. And church is just a place we go to be a good person. You could not be more screwed up. I'm sorry. You have things all backwards. And millions of people today are going to church for all the wrong reasons. And here's what God says. I reject your worship. Wow. Crazy, right? Crazy. Here's the question. Do you come to God without acknowledging your sin? Do you come to church to a place of worship? Do you bring your offering without even being aware of your sin? When was the last time you confessed your sins? Oh, I hope it was this morning. And then before that, I hope it was last night. And then before that, I hope it was at noon yesterday. And before that, I hope it was in the morning yesterday. Why? Because why? Because we're messing up all the time. Yesterday, I was driving to my daughter's baby shower uh, out in Temecula. Uh, and uh, good old Surrey takes me on a goose chase, man. I mean, I'm turning down roads. Oh, where in the heck am I? And I've got my wife in the car, and I've got my daughter in the back seat, and I've got my sister in the car with me. And I, worry, I mean, we get on this 45-minute detour, right? And, and I start getting frustrated. Like, what the heck? Where are we going? And, uh, you know, I didn't sin grossly. I mean, not, no gross sin. Uh, but I got home, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Dave, that wasn't a good representation in the car. Your daughter was in the car. Your wife was in the car. Your sister was in the car. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. You're right. I shouldn't have got frustrated like that. Lord, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. And I didn't grovel in my sin. I agreed with God and said, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Lord, I want to walk in righteousness. And Jesus says, take my hand. Let's go. Here's the right path. I agreed with him that my path was wrong and I get on the right path. His mercies are new morning by morning. His grace is abundant. But here's the question. Are we coming into the house of God without any provision for our sin? Are we coming here as if we're righteous? Be careful. Be careful. God may not receive your offering. 1 John 1.8, if, if we're Christians, we should know this by heart. Uh, if we say that we have what? No sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, none of us here would say we have no sin. None of us would. That's not what it's saying. If you're not confessing your sin, guess what you're doing? You're saying you have no sin. If you come into the house of worship, and you're not even confessing your sin, guess what you're doing? You're saying, I don't have any sin, I'm good. I'm going to come with you. I'll come right in, I'm going to come. The Old Testament would say, be careful when you come into the house of the Lord and come in with a reflective heart, lest you give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing. Uh, very interesting. Cain approached God with no thought about his sin and no provision for his sin, and God rejected him. Abel approached God asking forgiveness of his sin and bringing an offering for his sin, and God said, no problem, Abel. I'll forgive you, and I'll receive all of your worship, and I'll reward you. And I find this so amazing. Uh, this is what God is teaching us. Uh, this, is, this is just amazing to consider. If you think about this, this is the first story in the Bible after the fall. We are now 120 years into earth's history. Scholars estimate, uh, uh, scientists estimate, there was probably 120,000 people on the earth at this time. How many stories do you think could have been written 
How many mess ups were there? How many good things were there? A ton. How many things could have been written? And yet God chose this to be the first story in the Bible after the fall. Why? Why? Well, here's why. This is an important message to God. God is telling us that we cannot come, just come to God any way that we choose. And God said, I want this to be the first message in the Bible after the fall of man. We cannot come to God any way that we choose. There is a prescribed way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the, I am the life. And no man can come to the Father except what? Through me. There's a prescribed way. And you've got to deal with your sin. And I am the provision. The lambs that Abel was offering, it pointed towards Jesus. The lamb that was sacrificed for Adam and Eve, it pointed to Jesus. There's no other name under heaven where man can be saved. Uh, uh, Jesus is the only way. We cannot just come to God any way that we choose. And this was an incredibly important message to God. It was the first message he chose to put in the Bible after the fall. May we hear the message. God asked Cain, Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Why are you so torqued? All I'm asking is that you would bring your heart in the right place. All I'm asking is that you would realize that your sin has separated you from me and you need a provision for it, that you would look to the redemption that only I can provide. All I ask is that you would put your, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. The picture is of a lion ready to pounce. Sin is like a lion ready to pounce on you. And its desire is to rule over you. And you must rule over it. God is saying you cannot allow your sin to rule over you. You are responsible for your impulses. And you cannot just give in to all of them. And here's what you need to know, Cain. If you don't get right with me, if I am not the Lord of your life, sin will be the Lord of your life. It will control you and it will dominate you. You will either be transformed into my image or you will be transformed into sin's image. Sin wants to dominate you. You are in great danger. I want you to know sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Do you think, do you think Cain ever thought for a moment he'd be a murderer? Not for a moment. And yet he's going to be the first murderer on planet Earth. Wednesday, I was at Green Oak Ranch. Uh, a rehab place here in, in Vista. And uh, uh, I went and gave a message there. And uh, as I was there, there was a, um, a young man who was uh, graduating the, the program and there were three new recruits coming in. And I'm sitting next to a friend uh, who's in the program, a guy, young man I really love. And I'm sitting next to him and uh, one of the first guys stands up and he says, hey, I'm so-and-so, I won't use his name. I'm so-and-so and, -so, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm back at the ranch now for the third time. Sin has control over me. I'm lost in this addiction. It's ruining my life. I need to get on track with Jesus. The next guy stands up. Uh, uh, yeah, sin has a hold of me. And then the third guy stands up, tells his story. Uh, I've been in five different rehabs. And I looked over at the young man sitting next to me and I said, be careful. Pay attention. Pay attention. Sin desires to rule over you. You must rule over it. The only way you can is by recognizing the lamb that was slain for your sin and receiving the victory that God wants to give us. You'll be conformed into one of two images. Cain never thought his 
sin of self-righteousness would lead him to murder, but that's exactly what happened. Look at what happens in verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass. We don't know how much time has passed from this previous story till now, uh, but it came to pass why they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Wow. The first death of a human in the Bible, and it's murder. How quickly the world unravels because of sin. Here we see the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 coming into reality. God told Eve, in pain and sorrow, you're going to bring forth children. And now she sees one of her children murdered by one of her children. And all the pain and sorrow it must have brought upon her. And she sees the horrid ramifications that her sin has brought into the world. Wow. How tough. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Here God asks a question. Does he not know? Of course he knows. What's he looking for? You can be a murderer and still come to repentance through Jesus Christ. Cain, where is your brother? What have you done? What the heck? And look at Cain's answer. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Man, you better underline those words. They better scare the heck out of you. Because that is, our, that is, the, that is the picture of self-righteousness. First, he lies to cover his own butt. What's the lie? I don't know where he is. Yes, you do. And what's the next part he says? Am I my brother's keeper? responsible for him and the answer yes you are welcome to the church of Jesus Christ you are your brother and sister's keeper turn next to your brother and sister you're sitting by right now and say hey nice to meet you I'm your keeper <laughs> this is God's will that you would help each other I'm so thankful for those who come to me when I'm stumbling and they hold me up. They help me out. And in God's economy, that's what we're here for. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Cain says, well, I don't know. He lies. Then he says, am I my brother's keeper? And God would say, yeah, actually you are, right? Verse 10. And now God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth. I know what you've done, Cain. I gave you a chance for repentance. I'm calling you to myself. You're rejecting me. Here's the result. The blood which is the curse from the... Uh, verse 11, one more time. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield its strength for you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Uh, what's, what's that? What's that mean? Here's what it's saying. God says, I am not going to bless any of your works. And you are going to be empty and lonely on this earth. Your soul is going to be longing because you were created for me and you won't come to me. You are going to be lonely and empty and despairing on the earth. So many people that are so depressed because this place is a barren place without God in your life. And that's where Cain is at. And look at verse 13. And Cain said to the Lord, Cain said to Yahweh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Big problem. Big problem. He has great remorse, but not for his sin against God. What does he have great remorse for? My consequences. Big difference. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads us to depression. And look what he says. My punishment is greater than I can bear. What a, what a shame. He should have said, Lord, please forgive me. I am so sorry. I want to be made right. 
Can you cleanse me of this? And God would have cleansed him. Uh, Verse 14, surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that whenever anyone finds me, he will kill me. Uh, It looks like the earth is already getting violent. Verse 15, and the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord, Yahweh, set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Interesting. I don't believe this was a physical mark that you could see. I believe this was a spiritual mark, a mark of protection. You see, anytime that someone is going to kill someone, that's a spiritual origin in itself. And God put a spiritual mark on him that said, I'm not going to allow that to happen. In other words, he put a hedge of protection around him perhaps hoping that he would one day come to repentance. I want you to know as a child of God, if you are a child of God, the Bible tells us something very interesting, Ephesians chapter one, that the moment that you make Jesus your Lord and Savior, guess what God does to you? He puts a mark on you. He puts a seal on you. The seal of the Holy Spirit is upon you and nothing that can touch you that isn't first father filtered and Uh, nothing can touch you and you are sealed into the day of your redemption. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Verse 16, saddest verse, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, never walked with the Lord again, left the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Nod's an unknown area. We don't know where that is. And Cain knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after his, the name of his son, Enoch. Uh, we're going to get a few genealogies here that we're not going to go into. It's going to take us to a certain one that we want to look at. Uh, and he, uh, and to Enoch was born uh, Irad. And Irad begot Mehuel. And Mehuel begot Methuselah. And Methuselah begot Lamech. Lamech's the guy we're trying to get to. And Lamech took for himself, say it with me, Lamech took for himself two wives. People often say, why did God allow people to have multiple wives in the Bible? Because they're sinners. (laughs) This wasn't God's will. (laughs) Lamech is ruining marriage. Lamech is redefining marriage and we're still doing it today. This wasn't God's definition. This was sin's definition. And Lamech was a brutal husband, the son of Cain. Look at what we see. And the name of one of his wives was Adah. And the name of the second was Zelah. And Adah bore Jabal. And this is some interesting stuff here. I wish we had time to really go in depth. Uh, But highlight this. And Jabal was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. In other words, nomadic herdsmen, raising cattle, raising sheep. Now these professions, these tribes are beginning. This is really interesting. Look at this next one, verse 21. And his brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. Or in other words, the arts, musically gifted. And here we have music separated from the worship of God through this lineage of Cain and this incredible artistic musical gifting that comes through Jubal. Uh, Verse 22, as for Zelah, the next wife, she bore Tubal-Cain, and Tubal-Cain was an instructor of every craftsman that came after him in bronze and iron. What's that? Tubal was a smith. He worked with metals. It's interesting. We have history. We have these, we find these, Incred- we find alloys that we don't even know how they made today 
in, in archaeological digs. Uh, and here we see it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Man was brilliant. God endowed him with incredible gifts. And it came from the very beginning. Uh, man was not a caveman. They, they, were, they were brilliant. Very early on working with alloys. And this is the lineage of Cain. Do you know what Tubal forged? Do you know what he made? Tools and weapons. You knew this. The sin nature of man. Now weapons are invented. And now we're going to see something very interesting about this. The next verse, verse 23. Lamech, the father, father of all these dudes, the grandfather of all these dudes, uh, he said to his wives, and here we're going to get a, a picture of who Lamech is. What a bad husband he really is. Uh, this, by the way, in Hebrew tradition, in Jewish tradition, is called uh, the song of the sword. The song of the sword. This is poetry right here. These next few verses, are they indented in your Bible? Do you have extra margins? It's showing their poetry. In Hebrew, the poetry flows a lot more than it does in, in English, but you'll still get the gist of it. Ada and Zila, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. Do you get what kind of husband he is? For I have killed a man for wounding me. What do we have here? Another murder. I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. Here's, what, here's, what, here's why it's called the Song of the Sword. Tubal is a smith making these weapons. He gets this weapon, and how does he use it? To kill others. And here we see the art of war, right? Verse 24, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, that's what God said, right? Anybody who touches Cain will be avenged sevenfold. Then Lamech will be 77-fold. Or in other words, 70 times seven. God said, I will protect you, Cain, and I'll put a mark of protection on you. And uh, uh, if anybody takes vengeance on you, the retribution will be sevenfold. Lamech then pronounces his own, not God's protection, his own protection. With this sword, with these weapons, with these tools, I'll be avenged 70 times seven with my weapons of war. Very interesting, the next time we read of 70 times seven, it's not of a warrior wanting to kill people, it's of a savior wanting to forgive, forgive people. Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? No, no, no. Seventy times seven. Jesus, the warrior of forgiveness. Lamech, the warrior of, of revenge and vengeance. Verse 25, we see the, the destruction of the world, don't we? We see the, the, the way of the world. Verse 25, the last verse we're going to read. I'm going to save 26 for next, next week. Uh, verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Seth's name means appointed. And we're going to look at this more in future weeks. And Seth will be a godly line. Cain will be an ungodly line. And we'll see how this plays out. Uh, I want to leave you. want to close with uh, one more thought before we do. What have we learned today? What is the thesis of chapter 4? Well, it's this. God has said we cannot come to God any way that we choose. There is a right way to come to God, and he chose this as the first lesson in the Bible after the fall that he wants us to, need, to pay attention to. Uh, may, we, may we take heed. May we take heed. God rejects our self-righteous religious actions. He doesn't receive it. But God does receive all sinners who come to him and worship him with the Lamb's blood. I'll forgive you, even if you're a murderer. Even if you're a prostitute, I'll forgive you. The last thing I want to leave you with is profound in my opinion. I hope you get as much out of it as I have enjoyed. God's word is so incredible. In the New Testament, 
Abel's blood is mentioned one time. A profound verse. And it is worthy of great meditation. It's in the book of Hebrews. Why don't you stand with me and let's all read it together. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And let me give you the context of Hebrews 12. Uh, before all this is just simply saying, uh, Paul, uh, whoever wrote Hebrews was saying, we do not come to a God who's unapproachable, right? Uh, that's the context of this verse. And so I put that in parentheses. We do not come to an unapproachable God. Uh, and then here's the verse. We come, read it with me, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. What the heck? What does that mean? And why are we talking about the blood of Abel in the New Testament? And why are we talking about it at a time when we're saying we don't come to a God of the Mosaic Covenant as when, Mosaic, when Moses got the covenant, the whole mountain shook and trembled with lightning and fire and no one could approach it. If they did, they were killed. This unapproachable holy God. No, we don't come to that God. We come to a mediator of a new covenant and his blood the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel's blood. Huh? What? Well, let's look at it. What did Abel's blood speak? My brother is a murderer. My brother is sinful. My brother is wicked. My brother deserves the judgment of hell. That's what Abel's blood spoke. Jesus' blood speaks something far better. My brother is forgiven. My brother is cleansed. My brother has my righteousness given to him. And my brother can enter into eternal life. We do not come to an approachable God. God is not too hard to please. God is not uh, making it so difficult for us to come to him. God has made a way. His name is Jesus. We come through his blood and his blood makes us righteous. And he is worthy of all of our praise. May we come to him with our sin. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.